Welcome to Lunch Therapy. I'm your host, unlicensed lunch therapist, Adam Roberts. My patient today is Isaac Oliver. His book, Intimacy Idiot, was one of NPR's best books of 2015. In the New York Times, Nathan Lane wrote, you'll want to have dinner with him and maybe want to protect him from the world and himself. He's an artist in residence at Joe's Pub, and he's written for such shows as HBO's High Maintenance, which is one of my favorite shows, and Netflix's Glow. In today's session, Isaac talks to us about his need to follow a recipe. Anytime I attempt to go rogue, it is an absolute disaster. Growing up in Baltimore, we, we would have lots of church crab feasts. That was, that was the summer. And his thoughts on Otto Lenghi. He has me running all over town. I've never purchased so many preserved lemons. So without further ado, here is my lunch therapy session with Isaac Oliver. Isaac, it's nice to have you on Lunch Therapy. It's so nice to be here. Thank you. I'm trying to trace back our um, friendship because we met through Ryan O'Connell. And then we, we, then we hung out a bit. You came over for dinner once. So mm-hmm. you've been here, which is a violation of patient, you know, uh, <laughs> like lunch therapist patient relations, but that's okay. You violated it before. I've seen your roster. Okay, true. And then, <laughs> and then, most significantly, um, we had lunch in New York. We had brunch in New York, and then you came with me on a trip to Fish's Eddy, where I purchased mm-hmm. dinner napkins, and I've mm-hmm. still been using those dinner napkins ever since. If you've ever seen a, an addict sort of fiending in the wild, that was really uh, <laughs> my trip with Adam to Fish's Eddy. <laughs> Oh, did I really you? felt like an enabler. <laughs> oh, you did. Yes. And and you still haven't been back to enjoy those dinner napkins. No, no, I would love to. Okay. Oh. Well, come on back. Um, well, my first question to you, since this is a food podcast, yes. is broadly speaking, is food something that's important to you in your life? Yes, very much so. Eating it eating it has always been of the utmost importance to me. It really wasn't until the pandemic that I started trying to to do much preparation of it for myself. Um, And like an early caveman, I mean, I really, it was purely survival motivated. I mean, I think once the pandemic started, I realized, oh shit, I'm going to have to learn how to learn how to make some things for myself in or <laughs> truly in order to live. And, um, and so it, it has become quite, quite meditative for me. It has become, uh, very comforting for me. Unlike you, I have, I harbor absolutely no curiosity about, <laughs> um, cooking. I, anytime I attempt to go rogue, it is an absolute disaster. I need, I need instruction. I mean, cooking is essentially just another way for me to be submissive. Like I need, <laughs> I need like rules. I need like a causal a sort of flow. I need to follow everything to the letter. I like, I like being obedient. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and that is something that a recipe I find very comforting. I'm like, okay, if I do this and this and this with this much of this and this much heat and for this amount of time, this will happen. And I found that very comforting. <laughs> no, I think that makes a um, lot of sense. There's been a lot of 
uh, dialogue lately about that because the New York Times' yeah. new cookbook is No Recipe Cooking. And somebody wrote an article, What's Wrong with Following a Recipe? And it's sort of like, yes. and, and for me, I absolutely, when I first started cooking, always followed a recipe to the letter. But I think as I started to learn, like, okay, like making pasta, like, 50 or 60 different times and you learn like you add sure. this and you add that and you add some pasta water and stir it all together and it becomes pasta then you're like okay i get the gist like i can kind yeah. of but it takes a long time of doing that yeah yeah well i cooked alongside you in your instagram live wow i made the spring um the spring vegetable soup uh oh the or, um, or, or the the minestrone the ribolita adjacent maybe. the ribolita yeah, yeah with all the cabbage with all the greens and it was wonderful it was wonderful okay. but i noticed i noticed you were like well just a handful of this and just and I was like, <laughs> oh, he is he is really comfortable in the kitchen in the way that i am really not um well it's funny because but, i feel i feel like you know it's like the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours thing. It's sort of <laughs> inevitably, like if you spend 10,000 hours just doing something, you, you know, and there's actually a quote from Gabrielle Hamilton uh, from the, the owner of Prune, who's a cookbook author. Or a, a I author. have her cookbook, yeah. Oh yeah, but she has a great quote, which is, um, be careful what you get good at. You'll be doing it for the rest of your life. And mm -hmm. I always think about that with cooking and food blogging. It's, <laughs> there I am. Well, okay. So I'm yeah. curious, before we get into your therapy, this is still our banter portion. Uh, <laughs> what was your food life like before the pandemic? Was it restaurants always? Restaurants. Okay. Restaurants. Speaking of Prune, my favorite restaurant in all of New York. Um, Mine too. Yeah, actually. it was. Yeah. I know. I hope it'll reopen. I do too. Somebody the other day is like, oh yeah, that, that closed. And I was like, what? And then I, they had read that article that she wrote be, where, it was, yeah. where it was just sort of like amb ambiguous about what the future held. But I said, it, she didn't say she was closing it. She just said, exactly. She's not sure. But you were going to say, God. so you, go to restaurants. Yeah, yeah. No, restaurants. I mean, that, for me, that's one of the joys. The, the joys of living in New York City is all of the food and all of the restaurants and I'm I'm the worst cook I know. So why should I why should I eat at my horrible restaurant every night um, with no company? So I that was very much my life: takeout, delivery, um, and then very basic, you know, scramble an egg, uh, boil some quinoa, in, you know, make a turkey burger. You know, it's it just very very simple. Um, do-it-yourself kind of stuff but in but, terms of the the restaurant culture that you were a part of mm -hmm. were you like a veselka at 2 a.m kind of restaurant goer or were you sort of more like the hot new new york times three-star <laughs> opening in you know bushwick kind of restaurant goer oh well i live in washington heights so it's pretty okay. bushwick bushwick is pretty far as is veselka <laughs> at 2 a.m but i i I've never been, if I'm traveling, I do like to look up sort of, I'll look on Eater or I'll look on um, Lonely Planet or, you know, places where restaurants are being reviewed and I'll, and I'll try and sort of plan out a trip that way. I do like sort of seeing what restaurants people love. In New York, for me, it's more kind of situational, situation-based. I mean, I like a good meal, but I'm not always sort of hunting out sort of what's hot or what's been reviewed highly. I mean, I think for me, it's it's very much who I'm with and where mm -hmm. what neighborhood we're in. And 
I mean, I'm I'm not terribly particular. I just for for me, a great meal is is just as much who I'm with and mm-hmm. and what we're drinking mm-hmm. and and what's going on. You know what 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 the conversation is. What the I don't know. It all it all plays an equal part to me in addition to the food. So well, prune is had, a perfect like kind of place yeah. for that, where it sort of just feels like you're in somebody's house as opposed to a formal oh, dining fabulous. room. Yeah, that's it's interesting. fabulous. Her cookbook is very intense. I really, oh, yeah. it's 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 just sort of decorative for me at this point. Oh, totally. I mean, I bought it and I never cooked anything from it, and I just enjoyed it as like an artifact. But totally. um, my friend Ben Mims, who writes for the LA Times, told me I may I've made his cauliflower many times. Oh, well, Delicious. he told he told me that the prune cookbook is his favorite cookbook, and I was kind of my mind mm. was blown because I was like, oh, really? Like you cooked from it? And he made this recipe from it that I still need to make, which is lamb shoulder with lemons. My God, it sounds my really God. good. Yeah, because it love sounds it. incredible. Lamb shoulder is delicious. I don't know if you've ever had a lamb shoulder. Never. Um, but it was one of the first things I cooked, like when I was getting into cooking, I, I used to watch Mario Batali, who I no longer, you know, I'm a fan of for yeah. obvious reasons, but he yeah. had this recipe where it was like lamb shoulder with white wine and garlic and thyme, yeah. fresh thyme. And I'd never cooked with fresh thyme before. And you just put it in a pot and when you braise something, you just put it in the oven and three hours later, but it, I remember the lamb was like falling apart and the Oh my God. herbs. It was just amazing. So I'll make that for you when you come back. Fabulous. To yeah. I made lamb. It wasn't a shoulder, but it was lamb, like a rack of rib lamb ribs. Okay. <laughs> lamb ribs. And that's, that's very gourmet. Maybe not lamb ribs, but it, it was some sort of slab and there were bones in it. I rack, made it. Oh, you made a rack of lamb. A rack of lamb. There we yeah. go. Okay. And uh, see how out to see I am. <laughs> but I made that for on Christmas, which I know is not a traditional Christmas thing, but I wanted something very involved um, because I was alone and my whole family is in Baltimore and they're all local. And so they all have been in sort of a pod together. And so they all Zoomed me <laughs> on Christmas. And it was very... It was very hard. It was very lonely and very sad. And I will say cooking, I I wanted like a very, I wanted like an hours long thing. I just wanted something to be busy with and something to sort of tend to. And it was perfect for that. It was, it was a really, um, it, 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 it took up time. (laughs) And there there was a, and there was a, it was from, um, I I think it was the New York times, New York times, um, cooking I do a lot of those too I do a lot of yeah. they love a sheet pan and I love a sheet pan <laughs> oh yeah too. I just did one last night I did sausages and peppers. Oh, I saw that yeah, yeah. it was good but you know rack of lamb I gotta say I'm impressed because in my 20 years of cooking I've never made it because I'm so intimidated because it's so expensive like yeah I don't, I don't yeah. want to screw it up or overcook it but um oh, I spent yeah. some money on that I spent some money on that but I thought it's either that or crying alone <laughs> oh no, what a great idea Christmas. and i kind of disagree yeah. that it's not right for christmas because craig's dad my husband's dad makes it um every christmas not on christmas eve though mm. he makes it around christmas but isn't and i'm a jew so i don't really know but isn't the lamb like part of the christ story like it is it is no i appreciate you saying that i mean i i I guess I just thought I associate lamb with like Easter. I thought like, yeah, Easter maybe that's it. More I think the holiday right. to do it. But I mean, I don't know. It was, 
we're we're making all sorts of new rules, aren't we? We are. So it was <laughs> it was I was thankful for that very long detailed. I thought about doing the Julia Child the the what's the like not the Bourguignon, what's the thing that takes hours? Oh boof um, boof bourguignon or beef yeah, bourguignon. I thought about doing that, but that's a great seemed, one. I should have well, God knows if if we're in another wave. I think um, you did the right thing. I think a rack of lamb for yourself on Christmas is kind of beautiful yeah. because it's so elegant and it's, mm -hmm. and it's, and it's kind of like you were treating yourself, which I like as, you know, something where you needed to make yourself feel good. Been doing a lot of that. Yeah. Doing a lot of that. We all have. Well, Isaac, this is a perfect segue into yes. your lunch therapy. So, um, Isaac, what did you have for lunch today? I, I went out, I, I, I was feeling festive today in honor of 420 um, <laughs> and also Derek Chauvin's guilty yes, verdict. Yes, which we just I, found out. Yes, yes. Thank God it went that way. I know. I was going <laughs> to say, are we still going to do lunch therapy if um, <laughs> we need to take to the streets? So I'm glad that it went Oof, that way. Yeah, yeah thank God. Um, no, I've got a little festive today. I, I've been doing Martha Stewart Marley Spoon. Martha's been running me ragged uh with with her meal meal service but there so I did a pharaoh and I'm looking at it sorry I did a pharaoh um wait did you not white, eat it no I'm eating it I'm eating it but but as is also um I didn't want to be eating it while we were talking it's so gauche but I, <laughs> I'm as I've learned while cooking I continue to just be terrible with time management so um I was like god of course I'm running running late uh I've half eaten it and it's delicious, but it's it's a farro, white beans, arugula and radishes with toasted walnuts and a lemon mustard dressing. And then I made the Otto Lenghi uh, uh, roasted beets with uh, preserved lemon and cumin and a little dill. And- Wow, you, I... get, you get an A plus. <laughs> 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 I Ottolenghi has been my my dom top in, in the in in the culinary field this whole pandemic. I will do literally whatever he says. And he has me running all over town. I've never purchased so many preserved lemons uh, or so many fucking caraway seeds. I didn't even know what caraway seeds were. Um pomegranate molasses i don't know he I, he says jump i say how high and i find him so sexy don't you not well, to put you on the spot no i mean i don't necessarily but i i was gonna say autolenghi is my safe word ah! <laughs> pause for a laugh um, have you been to his restaurants have you been i went london? when i was in london i uh went to like one of his cafes i was so nervous i can't explain it i was in um notting hill and it, everything was so shishi and beautiful. And I walked in there and I was like, oh my God, like, what do I do? Because like, it wasn't like a restaurant where you go get yeah. a table. It was more like a counter and then you order and, and they had cake stands like piled with meringues and just, it was gorgeous. And, and he's, he's sort of like a, a demigod to me at this point. It's like, he can do no yeah. wrong. Although his recipes are very fussy, I find. I made a, I made a very fussy recipe of his for like winter it was like a winter berry um, sort of couscous thing. And it was admittedly very fussy. Like his intro to it was like, this is fussy, mm -hmm. but but it's worth it. And it really was. It was all sorts of win winter squashes. And it, it was a lot of chopping and prep. It was a lot of 
a lot of that. But you know what daddy says, uh, <laughs> I, I do. But it, it's, I went to his restaurant in London right before the pandemic started and had the most exquisite meal I think I've ever had. And it was pretty much all vegetable based. And I'm I'm trying to eat less meat anyway, <laughs> says mm-hmm. the bitch who made the rack of lamb for for one. Well, that's but, okay. Uh, once in a while. Yeah, once <laughs> in a while. And and so I just got all of his cookbooks, and it has really been I don't know. It's been one of the joys of of one of the few joys of the pandemic has been doing what he tells me. Well, as your lunch therapist, one of the things that immediately struck me when you were telling me about your lunch, and I'm also processing what I know about you from reading your wonderful book, Intimacy Idiot, which is hilarious, is your um, attention to detail and specificity that as you talked about your lunch, you you went into the the specifics of all the ingredients in the in the sparrow with the walnuts and the arugula and the lemon dressing, and then the beets. And then it made me think um, about your book about uh, in the chapter about working at the box office at the theater and just all the specificity of the people who came. And so I guess my first question for you is, have you always been obsessed with details, small details? Yeah, yeah. I um, I mean, often to my detriment. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I'm quite OCD, but I do, um, I am I am <clears throat> both gifted and plagued with, with an eye for detail. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it, it makes it, very hard for me to be in public. It makes it very hard. I just, I don't know. I, I, I not to, not to sound too Larry David about it all, but, <laughs> but I, 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 lots of things irk me out in the world. But, um, but I like, uh, and that has that has been, not to keep going back to this, but something that I have enjoyed in, in following recipes is just seeing I. I, I've always loved cooking shows, actually. I watch cooking shows a lot because I like seeing how things are made. I mm-hmm. like seeing, um, I mean, I, I loathe Guy Fieri, but I do <laughs> like watching, I do like watching those restaurants dump those big tubs of things mm-hmm. together. And um, I thought like people so, have come around on Guy Fieri though, because he used to be like the punching bag for like Anthony Bourdain and all these people. But right. now it's been sort of revealed that he like does this, inc- all this incredible charity work and he like feeds oh, firemen he? putting out fires. So not to make you feel terrible, oh. but uh, he, yeah. I but mean, isn't he also like super racist and, and oh, chauvinist? Isn't is that? he? I didn't know that. Yeah. I thought, I thought there were, well, there were some rumors about that, that he's just an incredibly toxic oh. um I mean, not to, not to spread rumors. Yeah, my God, this podcast um, is about to get canceled. <laughs> I'm going to get kicked off the internet for this. Well, uh, I could be very wrong. Who knows? Who knows? But yeah, back to you. So you were saying it's hard yeah. to be in public, but is that, I mean, the, the Larry David thing. So is it sort of like that waiter is like sweating on my menu or like, I mean, is it things like that? Like where you, you're like curmudgeonly or is it more that you're just noticing like so many small things? It's like, like a beautiful mind where like thousands of things are <laughs> happening and you're trying to take them all in. It's kind of that. It's okay. kind of that. I mean, I, I do like, if there's someone with their bare foot out, like then, then that is always immediately visible to me. If there's someone in an enclosed space eating something loudly, that's always apparent <laughs> to me. And, um, but I like, and that is something I've really missed about being <laughs> indoors for 
you know, 14 months is, is I like noticing little things about how people are behaving or, or little things about what they're wearing or, um, I don't know. I don't know. It just, um, I think there, there, there's, there's so much that makes up who someone is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we, we so often kind of glaze over, um, things about, I uh, think things, things about people and we, and we don't, we don't take a second to, to look a little closer at someone. And I, I think that's something we could all stand to do. So when it comes to cooking with the specificity of, of the ingredients and following the recipes specifically to the letter, um, what, how do you handle it when, um, you can't find an ingredient or you, one component doesn't come out the way you thought it would. I mean, does that derail you completely? Kind of, kind of, I mean, I'm a perfectionist. I really, um, it's, there are a lot of things I've made this pandemic that have really turned out not quite well. Or um, if I don't have an ingredient, I do try to look up substitutions. Um, but I'm very anal. I kind of like <laughs> to have. I like to have everything. Um, I like to have everything I'm going to need. It, it's it's a it's a it's a comfort. I don't I don't like flying flying wild i mean (laughs) (laughs) no that's really interesting to me because you're also an incredible writer and we should mention that you've written for high uh high fidelity high maintenance (laughs) which is relevant because it's 420 today um and um glow and i so i guess my um question is like because i'm thinking now of you as, as a writer at your keyboard like typing into final draft and also you at your kitchen and at the stove and being deferent to, you know, the recipe, but, but sometimes when you write your own stuff, there is no recipe. So I guess I'm curious, like, where does that come from? And what what are you channeling there? It's really, I mean, it's why I, it's why writing is probably my least favorite thing to do in the whole world. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I love it. I I love having written something. I love, I love getting to the end. Um, I love rewriting. I actually, rewriting is, is where I feel my most creative. I feel I feel like that's where I do most of the good work is in rewriting. But I mean, that's when, when you sit down to a blank page. I mean, there really isn't much of a recipe or much of a guide other than other than what you've conjured in your head already. And um, I mean, thankfully, television writing sort of increases the muscles of you know outlining or, or beating things out so, so you kind of I mean not not to beat this metaphor to death <laughs> but you kind of you kind of learn to 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 cobble together as much of a recipe as you can and um and writing in tv you're 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 not the only cook in the kitchen see I'm mm-hmm. going to keep this re- I'm going to keep this metaphor going keep going this is uh, what this is all about you're on the right podcast <laughs> yeah and and so you, you as a group are, you know, beating out a story, coming up with an outline. And so by the time you're sitting down to write, you do kind of have a step-by-step guide of what, of what needs to, to be created. Um, but when you're on your own, it's, it's, it's very hard. It's very hard. It's very lonely. It's very mm-hmm. solitary. And um, you just have to have a, 
uh, a reward system in place. <laughs> well, it also makes me think of you being a perfectionist, a self-described yeah. perfectionist, because that's the thing about writing. And I'm struggling with this right now. Like I was trying to write a short story recently. I was like, oh, maybe I'll write like a food short story. And I, it's like that, I think Ira Glass had a quote about like learning how to, getting into write or becoming a writer and like giving yourself that period of, of making, making peace with the fact that it's not going to be great right away. And yeah. now, that, now that I've been writing for most of my life, it's like, I don't have time for that. <laughs> like, right, you know, right. like I was trying to write the short story and I was like, this isn't good. Like, this is terrible. And so like, I, I would stop and then I'd be like, wait, you're being too hard on yourself. Go back to it. And then like, but then I, but then I would see all the flaws again. And I, I think it, I think that's very challenging. It's probably, that's probably why you find writing so difficult too, is that you immediately are looking at what's wrong with it and, um, and that's yeah. hard to overcome. It really, it is. I was just thinking about this today because I'm, I'm working on this screenplay and I've never written a, a, a film before, and uh, and I'm and I, and it's coming really hard. I mean, I, I I mean, I lost my mind for most of last year. Last year was really not a creative year by by any means, and so in in many ways, I'm quite rusty in terms of the 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 mechanisms of literally just sitting down and, and getting started, which has always been the hardest part of writing to me is just the physically like sitting down and doing it. Um, but when, when you do it so infrequently, you also have no patience for how, yes. <laughs> for how bad it is when you first do it. I mean, I'm sitting here and I'm like, I just have to get this out. This is going to be a first draft. It's going to be a total mess. And but like I said, like I know in my process, I, it's not until I'm rewriting that I really feel like I can get, get things closer to where I envision them to be. And so it is so hard to be typing out something that is so far from how I'm ultimately envisioning it. Yeah, you, you just have no patience for it. And, and the, the world is so stressful right now. It's like, God, can't, can't something come easy. I don't know. It's, you, you become, you become especially bratty about it these days. And, um, no, I get that hundred percent. I, I mean, know. I'm also curious though, like being a discerning person, um, and, and being critical of your own stuff. Like when you're in a writer's room, I guess I'm stretching out this food metaphor too, uh, <laughs> or like in a restaurant, um, and somebody pitches an idea that's terrible or a dish comes out and it's not what you wanted. I mean, are you quick to say, or to point out those flaws. I mean, do you, I guess I'm curious, do you point, do you turn that outwards or is it only pointed inwards? I don't, I mean, there, there's, there's sort of an unspoken code in a writer's room of you're really supposed to have each other's backs and right. you're really, um, if, if you disagree with an idea or you think an idea is, is not great, there, there, there are sort of gentle ways to kind of, um, I mean, it's one thing if you're having a sort of open debate about like whether a character would do something or whether, um, or sort of the ethics of something, you know, if it's, if it's a larger conversation, then yeah, I think like just dis openly disagreeing is okay, but it's such a vulnerable thing to be pitching an idea in a writer's room. It is so scary. Um, I'm terrible at it. I mean, it really just, uh, I, I, one, one, of, one of the many kindnesses extended in a writer's room, I think is from your fellow writers, just, just sort of letting your idea kind of go up and sit, sit out there and rest in the air. And if it has any legs, it'll, it'll, 
still be there in a little bit. If not, it can kind of mm-hmm. <laughs> scurry, scurry back into the hole. But um, I mean, I, I, but that, that being said, I mean, I do think you, you also do have a responsibility to, to, to share your opinions in, in a, in a thoughtful way, in a considerate way, but also, you know, you're, you're all there with the, with the common goal of helping to make this show better. So um, if something, you know, pings you in a weird way, you know, fi- find a way to share that, but, but, but you also have to, I don't know, be, be considerate and be compassionate in, in the mm-hmm. way that you're, that you're sharing it. So well, this all know. this all feels like of a piece to me, though. That like there's intense creativity, intense sensitivity, and intense sort of concern for how to marry those things. I guess, like, yes, in terms of like, okay, I'm very sensitive, but I want to be creative, you know. So, and, and whether it's cooking <laughs> or writing or everything, it's all connected. But now we're gonna do the like, you know, what's it called? Like in a movie, we're gonna like dissolve now to your childhood and go back. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> Because one of the things that struck me also about your lunch is almost like the neutrality of it, that it felt very <laughs> like, you know, like you could get that dish, you can get like faro with all of those accoutrements. Um, you know, people are making that everywhere in the country right now. It's not like it's regional. It's, I mean, it's not like it's specific to your childhood or a culture. And, um, and even when I asked you about restaurants, it felt like there wasn't like, oh, I love Italian food or, you know, I gravitate to the food of my ancestors. So <laughs> So I'm curious, you grew up in Baltimore. So what, what was your family like in terms of cooking and food? Very, very simple, very basic. I, I don't think I would offend either of my parents by, by saying that neither of them are particularly, you know, prodigious chefs. I mean, it, that's, that, that was not really, I've always been sort of envious when people are like, oh, my mom's mashed potatoes or, or my dad's, you know, steak au poivre. I don't know. When people talk, when people talk about um, their family's cooking and same for my grandparents. I mean, it was all, we, we were very sort of like basic, like meat and potatoes, uh, you know, sort of green beans, uh, a, a lot of, yeah, a lot of chicken and a lot of sort of just baked chicken. Um, Hmm. Okay. And, and a lot of like a one sauce. I mean, it was very, it was very, you know, middle, middle class, middle, you know, middle, uh, just, just middle. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, my grandparents too. I mean, it it just, it was, a um, so, so it's not like there was a sort of dazzling, a, a, a dazzling palette. Um, ironically my, my, my mom, and I have really bonded in the pandemic over these New York Times recipes, over the Otto Lenghi, and she's been sort of branching out and getting more adventurous too. And we, and that's been something we've both been really bonding over. I mean, I I do take I do as I've gotten older take great pleasure in eating and great pleasure mm-hmm. in wonderful in wonderful meals. And um, so so it's not like I'm a sort of eat to live person, but <laughs> but that was kind of yeah, that was just kind of how I grew up, like just very simple, basic meals, you know. Well, it's you, so you, funny. I mean, it, I should, we should do a si- sidebar here about your parents because I've been following all your adventures over Instagram. And ah! 
and I guess, was it like a Christmas or sometime they were helping you choose a porn <laughs> to yes. watch? Yes. So that's incredible. I mean, tell us more about that. <laughs> Not that this has anything to do with food, but it's just no, so funny no. to me. But it is delicious. I don't know. Yeah. Um, they, for uh, Ars Nova a Theater here in New York, um, was having a telethon uh, to raise money to, to be able to survive the pandemic. And it was a 24 hour telethon and they offered me, um, the midnight to 1am slot, uh, cause I'm a night owl, mm-hmm. which is why I eat lunch at 5pm. Oh my God. We never got to that. And we have to talk about that. Too. We do have to talk about that. Yeah. Um, but so I, I was like, well, what if I just do like a real time, like, what am I doing between midnight and 1am? And I was like, well, I'm usually like picking out what porn I'm going to watch for that evening. And I was like, well, how do I condense that to one, a one hour process? Um, So I, I was like, oh, I should make it like a game show and have special guests and do sort of like a, like a, like a a March Madness bracket of like (laughs) different, different clips, like competing to be the one I'm going to watch. And so I had special guests and, and we watched the first minute of all these different porn clips as sort of the setup of, and then my parents were the deciding <laughs> vote. So they, they were shown the, the, the top two clips and then they picked and they, they picked a pretty wild clip, I have to say. And they, they're very game. They're, they're very- <laughs> Well, I wanna hear more about that though, because I mean, so much of therapy <laughs> is talking about one's relationship to one's parents. And yeah. I cannot imagine a world where my mother and father would help me uh, choose a final point. So have you always had that kind of relationship with your parents where you just talk about everything and everything is open? Not always. I mean, when I was growing up, my my coming out was very smooth. I mean, thankfully, I was about the gayest child alive. So they <laughs> so they they were pretty they were they were pretty aware and prepped. <laughs> and any sort any sort of struggle they had with who I was about to be, they they kind of did on their own before I even knew. Um, so so my coming out was very uh, smooth. Thank God for them. They're they're very they're they're religious people, but they're very progressive religious people. Um, but one of the things that, that we really, uh, struggled over was, was that I was watching porn. They hated Hmm. that I was watching porn. And that was, that that was the thing they would sort of catch me with as I was growing up. They would find it on the internet search history. They would find (laughs) it under my mattress. They would find, you know, they, it just, they, they found a VHS in my backpack. The friend had loaned to me from school. I mean, it really that that was that was the thing we fought over it wasn't you know i i didn't i wasn't drinking or doing drugs or anything but i was looking at porn and that and as i as i've become an adult and we've we've our relationship has evolved i think i've i've done my best to kind of explain to them that at that point i mean this was the 90s uh the late 90s into the early aughts, you know, you you couldn't see two men kissing or, or expressing any sort of physical affection for each other in any media anywhere. Like you, mm-hmm. they, I remember the Melrose place where they like filmed <laughs> him, they filmed him kissing and it was like, basically like an aerial shot from the top <laughs> of Melrose place. And you I remember that anything. too, yeah. You remember that, right? Yeah. And, and, and that, I think that, that changed their tune a bit. I think that that made them more have have a 
understand sort of where that was coming from. It wasn't necessarily that I was some like fiend for sex. Well, I mean now, but but <laughs> um, but but that I was I was seeking out just imagery of you know some some sort of blueprint of like how to how to enact my desires, how to how to and not even just sexually, but just affection. Like what does two men kissing look like? What does two men touching each other and hugging look like? And and where, where the camera stays on them and doesn't move so you don't see anything. I mean, it really, uh, that, that was the place where we could find it at that point. And I'm so, I'm so grateful that today's media, um, I mean, it has a long way to go in terms of representing not just, you know, straight adjacent masculine white cis guys, but it, it but at, at least it's made some strides in, in showing young queer kids what what affection looks like and mm-hmm. um i don't know so so it, it was a real adam it was a real full circle moment to have them pick out <laughs> porn because that had been such a thorn that had been such a a a, a real rough spot for us in my adolescence they well, thought also know, porn porn is something that that you know their whole thing was that they were like we want you to be we want you to demand respect you know, when in a sexual situation, and they and they found pornography to be something where 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 the subjects are not necessarily being respected or valued, or I mean, they have they have a very generational kind of sex negative um, view of pornography, and I think that that is fairly extended to a great deal of pornography. But there also is pornography that that does have an ethic and does have values, and and what's going on, and it is consensual and is informed and 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 is actually quite celebratory um it's funny because my last guest we we were talking about the ethics of like getting organic eggs versus Ah! like free range and i love that i'm talking to you about the ethics of pornography um that's really interesting well it's funny because it makes me think of our mutual friend ryan o'connell who was the first lunch therapy guest because both of you do something that i admire so much which is that you are open books about everything i mean you put it all out there and hearing about your parents like what i love about that story is that they weren't telling you to repress everything or or if they were, I mean, they didn't like that you were doing it, but everything was out in the open. The conversation was happening. You weren't like sneaking around like that kid from the movie Parenthood. Do you remember that right. movie with the brown yes. paper back? That was who was like Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix, actually, right? Isn't that Joaquin yeah. Phoenix? The VHS uh, they found was in a paper bag, though. Yeah, yeah. In my backpack. Oh, it was? But, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, it, but, then, but then the conversation was open and you didn't become yeah. one of those people that's like sitting at, at the library, like jerking off under the table. Right, right. Yeah. And, and they, and I have to, to their credit, I mean, their converse, their, their stance was always, we want you to have, we want you to experience sex as an act of love. Like we, we want you, we want you to feel loved uh, when you're having sex with someone. We, we want you to be having sex with people who respect you. And I was like, well, that's not always the point, but sure. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it can be pretty great with someone who just lives nearby. But um, <laughs> It, uh, you know, it, 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 it came, it came from a place of love for me. Uh, and, and I think that has, they're just great parents and, and, yeah. and that, um, that, that, that has enabled us to have a real relationship. I mean, I don't think they love always thinking or hearing about my sex life, but I think they, they know it's a trade-off. They, they know it's, it, it's, 
it, it means we're close and that they mm-hmm. know about me. And, you know. and the fact that you're cooking with your mom over Zoom, I mean, yeah, that, that speaks to the, the way you've kind of made the relationship work. So that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Um, well, we have a couple of things to cover. I want to get back to the five o'clock of it all because I have a lot yeah. of thoughts about that. But before we get to that, I have to ask in terms of the Baltimore of it all. Mm-hmm. I mean, are we talking John Waters Baltimore? Are we talking... The Wire, Baltimore childhood. <laughs> like, what was your childhood in Baltimore? Like, were you eating crabs? Yes, yes, we would. We ate a lot of crabs. I had a very suburban. I mean, we grew up in the suburbs, um, so it was more. Um, it wasn't John Waters or The Wire, or although those are two of my favorite things. Um, and both watching both of those things make me very homesick. Um, Lots of crabs, lots of crabs, um, which which is, you know, I, I think speaks to one of my loves of a meal about being sort of fellowship with other people and 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 the company of others. And the we we would have lots of church crab feasts. Mm. That was that was the summer. Um and blue so, yeah. crabs, right? And they're kind of cooked blue with crabs. Old Bay and uh-huh. all those spices. Old Bay, yeah, fabulous. And it, I, I love that so much. I miss that so much. I'm hoping. I mean, just got shot two, three days ago. So hopefully, I will be in Baltimore, oh, this summer and eating some. That's but. great. It's so nice to have a food that's so specific to where you're from that makes me think of family. I mean, Craig, mm-hmm. funny enough, my husband, I'm just saying my husband because people who might be listening might not know that. Um, I get it. I uh, get it. Is from uh, <laughs> Washington State and he's gotten into to some fierce debates with um, East Coast people about which crabs are better because he's a diehard Dungeness crab fresh Delicious. out of the water. Um, and I, anything- I remember, I remember your stories from last, or I guess not last summer. Was it? No, it was. When did last you summer. go? Yeah, we went last. We oh, drove yeah. up to Washington and we went uh-huh. crabbing. But he believes. I mean, he's very um, what's the word combative about it that the the simplicity of a Dungeness crab cooked simply in seawater is mm-hmm. is far superior to the masked grunginess of a Baltimore <laughs> crab um, covered in gunk and spices. So you you, you might have to that get to it. Is- debate with him. That is, I will get into a debate with him. He is so ornery that there is no need. There is absolutely no need there. We don't need to have a West Side story of, of crabs. This, <laughs> Maybe you do, actually. Both. Yeah, I would watch that. <laughs> that sounds really a good very, to me. A very special episode. Yeah. Um, no, I, I love a Dungeness crab, too. I, I don't, I mean, they they each have a moment. I mean, I think my my allegiance would probably be to just what I grew up with. I mean, it's mm-hmm. associated. Yeah, it doesn't have to be binary. You can you can yeah. Twenty twenty one. Okay, so now let's get to the elephant in the room. This is a very <laughs> strange part of our conversation, but we need to address it. Tell yeah. me about eating lunch at <laughs> five thirty. Yeah, because yeah. to me that sounds like an early bird dinner. Yeah. Well, that reveals something about you, but um, oh, okay. I mean, I am no, from Flor- Florida, and I'm Jewish, so <laughs> that is possible. Uh, but yes, let's turn it back to you. No, and 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 it's this is the perfect occasion for therapy, uh, perfect topic for therapy because I, I've always been a night owl. That's always been um, that's that's when I like to write. That's that's when I my mind feels most sort of tuned in. 
to the to the right kind of frequencies um, for writing. But uh, like my ideal schedule has always been like sleeping from uh, go go to bed at four a.m. wake up at noon has has kind of always been my my ideal schedule. And then when when the pandemic hit, when the quarantine started, and I had no nowhere to be, nothing to do, lots of anxiety. Um, I started just, I couldn't stay, stay up. I, I couldn't fall asleep. I, I had to, I was staying up until dawn. And, I, and there was something sort of uh, mental for me about, I think I needed to, I needed to like see another day starting mm-hmm. in order to like, go to sleep it, it was wow. I, I i needed to like not not to get like too bleak here but but um i need i needed to know that like okay the sun's coming up like another day is guaranteed did you really <laughs> think can, the like, sun might not come up well i think it. i think it was just a very sub- subconscious sort of like assuming like a night watch duty or or something like like i'm gonna i'm gonna take the night watch and then i would go to bed and you know sleep until one or two i would i would i would then get you know a full night's sleep Mm. but ironically i was sleeping through the day and this this has been this has been a real struggle for me throughout all of the pandemic i've been doing all i go in and out of sleep training you know trying to sort of get back to more normal hours because i don't like being up at night at night so much these days because no one else is I mean (laughs) there used to be there used to be like a 24-hour kind of hum to New York City and Mm -hmm. that's that's slowly returning but but it it gets pretty quiet at night so but on the whole um I am still waking up everything is kind of shifted like I'm having breakfast at one I'm having lunch at five or five thirty I'm having dinner at 10 or 11 or even midnight um, wow. So you're on a whole other like time zone. Yeah. You're an Isaac I'm, I'm central living, time. Yeah. yeah you're, Europe hours. <laughs> yes. Well, that's fascinating. I mean, maybe you need to just take a trip to like somewhere where you can like recalibrate based on like the time there right. being where you are. Yeah. Mo- I made a swordfish. To- yeah. I made a swordfish at 1 a.m. Oh that neighbors- was a real dark moment. <laughs> Do the neighbors hear you like clomping around and like smell fish coming through the vents at one in the morning? I didn't hear any complaints. Hopefully they were all asleep. <laughs> That's fascinating. Well, you know, I have to ask, like, were you, did you ever have issues like this before the pandemic or this is only brought on by the pandemic? Sometimes. I mean, I, I, if I'm writing, like if I'm working on something, uh, it, it does, it, I will have trouble sleeping while I'm working on something because I just, I get into bed and can't really turn my mind off like I Mm -hmm. and often if I've been sitting at the computer you know from 1 a.m to 3 a.m really struggling really trying to get something down I mean it's how it always goes you step away and then suddenly it comes to like I'll then get into bed and then it'll all come to me you know it just and so I'll be waking up and writing things down on Mm post-its or writing things in the phone and that's why I like doing dishes actually because I always have good ideas while I'm doing the dishes that's smart. That's smart. Um, so I just, uh, it has, it has been sort of situational in the past, but, um, the pandemic really, really kind of brought it to a head and 
my doctor is is kind of of two minds about it. I mean, he has prescribed me some things, and we're doing sort of a lot of homeopathic. <laughs> this is this is just like your regular uh, doctor, like your yeah, like yeah. physician. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I've basically eaten eaten an entire meadow in pill form now, um, <laughs> uh, which does help. Which does help, you know, sort of put me to bed, but. Um, but he's also of the mindset. He, he was like, he was like, it's a vicious cycle with the stress about it too. He was like, until he was like, until you have a job again, or until you have places to be, if you're like sleeping through things and missing things, he was like, that's one thing. But if you're just, you know, if, if, if you're okay to, to wake up at 1 PM, you know, just do yourself that kindness right now and, and, and get the sleep, you know, and, and 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 adjust when when you need to but but if you don't need to be in you know heaping this this stress on yourself right now about when you're sleeping mm-hmm. um just kind of let your body be and which i thought which i thought was nice actually i i still straddle a line because i think i it's impossible for me to live without at least a baseline of stress <laughs> <laughs> but um right join the club um yeah but it's interesting because I feel like the solution might be food related because I once read that when presidents travel to new countries where they do a lot of traveling or anyone who does a lot of traveling, but this had to do with the president for some reason, the way they get them on the new schedule is they make them eat breakfast at the time of the destination that they're visiting. So if like they're, oh. if they're in the middle of the flight and it's like breakfast time in the new destination, they will make who, I mean, or it's just anybody can do this. You just eat breakfast at that hour. So like, for example, with you, if in your current, you know, untraditional uh, arrangement, you would make yourself eat breakfast at 8 a.m. and then make yourself eat lunch at 12 and then make yourself eat dinner at like 5.30 and the food will recalibrate your system. This is the real- dinner at 5.30. No, I don't know. This, I'm just trying to work within your, your hours. No, <laughs> no. Okay. Make yourself eat breakfast at 8.30. Make yourself eat lunch at one and eat dinner at 6.30. But me- metabolically, is that right? I, I don't know. I just feel like psychologically your, your system yeah. will readjust based on that. This is your, this is yeah. an official lunch therapy diagnosis for free. For I'm insomnia. This to- yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I, I definitely think swordfish at 1am definitely confused. <laughs> Confused the hell out of my body. And I do, um, I don't know. I throw a lot of stuff at this, at this old bag of bones, but, um, it really, uh, you're younger than me. What are you talking about? Oh, don't you think we've all aged like five yeah, years? No, I know. It's so funny. Like I just read this article in the New York times about languishing. Did you read that? No. Oh, you got to read it. It's, I mean, it speaks to your situation too, but it's all about yeah. how, how we've all been languishing during quarantine, oh. that, that we're not, you know, it's not that we're all depressed or that we're all flourishing. We're just languishing. Yeah. And, and it's funny because for Christmas, Craig got me a um, Nintendo Switch and I played Zelda Breath of the Wild. And- which, which we should talk about in a sidebar because that was one of truly the only other pleasures of this pandemic for me. Oh, you played it game. too? Yeah, I loved it. Loved I loved it. it too. Cried when it ended. Me too. I was are, so sad. Are you going back and finding shrines? Because now I'm, I'm yes. kind of doing I, that. I, I, yeah, I went online. I don't think I would have beaten the game in the time it took if I hadn't gone online and gotten like the shrine map. Because I'm, again, kind of the imperfections. I was like, I want to get all of them. I want to pick up all the things. Oh, wait, but you um, use the shrine map, but doesn't that ruin the pleasure of discovering the shrine? Yeah. 
Yeah, you got me. I haven't used that. Maybe I should. I feel like I'm missing so many shrines. Anyway, we're missing. There are like 120 shrines. You got to use the map. I know. I skipped over a lot. Um, Okay. Well, Isaac, we're nearing the end of this podcast. It kind of flew (laughs) by. We covered a lot of stuff. It did. It's so nice to talk to you. Oh, yeah. But it's not over yet. Sorry. You're not off the hook. (laughs) We've got 10 more minutes. I I usually, I begin every podcast by asking, um, what did you have for lunch? But I end every podcast by asking, what will you be having for dinner tonight? And with you, there's an asterisk because it's, what are you having at 1 a.m. tonight? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know actually i this is the first thing i've made myself in a few days because i had some pretty bad side effects from my moderna part deux oh i'm Um, getting mine on friday i'm very nervous block out the weekend yeah i did yeah i mean it's good i smiled through it all because i was like it's working yeah um but uh but it's 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 pretty gross for for like 20 hours um but I, uh, I I have another Martha Marley spoon. There's there's pork chops with like a berry, like a wheat berry kind of glaze. I think I wait, might do that. Wait, wheat berry? <laughs> uh, wheat berry is a grain, isn't it? Don't quote me on it. It's some, it's some berry thing. Oh, like um, a berry glaze. So I, mean, I actually don't even know what Marley Spoon is. What is that? Oh, you don't? Yeah. Well, it's 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 from Martha Stewart. It's like a meal prep kit. Um, what do you have on the West? Do you have like Blue Apron on the yeah. West Coast? Do you have, have Blue yeah, Apron, like fresh, fresh Direct, um, things like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you get it, it's actually quite nice. Um, you 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 can pick out the recipes you want. You know. Um, three to four, actually you can go up to eight meals a week, I think, but um, I do three and, and you get like, they, they send you like just the amount you need, which is great for my sort of perfectionist. Uh-huh. Uh, you can sort of spread everything out and have your, what, what's it called? Mies. You can get everything. Mies and plus. Yes. Mies, mies and plus. Yes. Um, and it's, it's, it's all, you know, and, and she's got a lot of great vegetarian options and everything. So this, this Pharaoh bean thing was, was hers. Um, and then you did the Adelangi thing yourself. Like you went shopping for those ingredients. Yes. Yes. I got those fresh direct, fresh directed to me. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Wait, fresh direct. I, okay, you, you ordered, but you chose what you needed for that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I also I've been eyeing a spring chick a, a, a chicken a whole chicken recipe of his, mm-hmm. um, which I also should make yours. Um, oh, my, I don't know just... that I have enough butter. But... <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of butter. I mean, it's so funny because I have been letting myself do whatever I want during quarantine. Like literally, like make a cake in the middle of the week, roast a chicken I mean, with we like, should. We a pound of to. butter. But now yeah. I'm at the moment. Um, I actually just rejoined my gym because I was yeah. like, there's no reason to not go anymore because I'm vaccinated. I mean, I'm most 80%, you know, right, vaccinated right, yeah. and, and I wear a mask and it's like 20% occupancy. Like nobody's in there. So I right. just started and now I'm like ready to like eat salads and be healthy. We'll see how long this lasts. I mean, I don't think it will last very long, <laughs> but I was going to ask you with your perfectionism and cooking, um, do you ever cook for others? Do you cook for? No. I, and that's what I was going to ask you about because I am terrified about it. Really? I, I, I mean, I've only cooked for myself this whole pandemic. I live alone. I, um, 
the, the Marley spoon, thankfully, only serves two people. I mean, I'm usually on these other recipes. Uh-huh. It's e- it equally hammers home my like singleness, <laughs> where I'm just like, God, now I have five servings. I have to freeze of this. Oh my god. Um, but I, I mean, I think if I, I think there are a couple recipes, and and I am planning a trip to Baltimore, and I think I would like to try and cook for my parents because mm-hmm. I think they'd be they'd be forgiving. <laughs> Yes, pear. <laughs> uh, but there are a couple recipes that I've made a few times over the pandemic that I really like, and that I think if I were able to sort of follow them, you know, to to the letter, I I feel like I could be okay um, handing them out. What are they? People. They are. Um, Otto Lenghi has. Uh, Actually, no, this was a New York Times. There's a New York Times gazpacho that I really love and made a bunch of times. And now that it's spring again, I'm excited to do that. Um, and then Otto Lange has the, well, these roasted beets, um, but also, um, oh, good Lord. I'm trying to remember it now. Um, oh, the carrots. He had oh, these carrots, yeah. the, the the harissa roasted carrots. I think I've seen um, that. That's the other thing. Yeah, he's he's got me up to my elbows in harissa. Um, <laughs> and um, and then there was, uh, I mean, they're all like vegetable. They're all vegetable. Um, there's a black bean and corn salad from the Times that I really loved. Um, well, no, no. No big like showstopper entrees. But these but, are all um, very like, by the way, I mean, I think it's interesting that you're sort of casting yourself as an amateur or like a, somebody who doesn't cook that much. But these recipes are difficult. I mean, Otto Lenghi is difficult. He's not an easy recipe person. I find him very right. difficult. Well, but do you have his book Simple? Yes, but I and, and I, I get that that's not difficult, but but like even the flavor profiles are like right, right. I, it's like it's not like you're just like you know putting salt and pepper on a chicken breast and popping it into the oven. Like you're doing yeah. some, but I but maybe his simple book is simpler because his new one flavor. Oh my god, I was gonna make his celeriac, oh is that wild? Yeah, celeriac or his like celery root steaks, and it's like you have to braise it for three hours or like roast it for three hours and then sear it and then cook, you know base. Is it just insane? So much work. And I was like, I'm not doing that. How was that tofu? I saw you made his tofu. Delicious. That He converted yeah. me. Um, it's funny because I spoke ill of Otto Lenghi on one of my Instagram lives, <gasps> like kind of secretly. I was just like, his <sighs> recipes are too hard. But then funny enough, I went into a Otto Lenghi like rabbit hole and I just started making so much of his stuff. And my friend Jerome has a, a macroot lime tree that has um, these macroot lime leaves. Oh, and so I had yeah. him bring over these lime leaves and I made this topping for black beans. That's an Otto Lenghi's book where it's like, lime leaves and mustard seeds and garlic and chilies it was incredible i'm like why was i ever you know it's, trash talking Otto Lenghi? he's he's daddy you can't, you can't <laughs> tr- trash daddy okay no I, I, and and i just remember the, the one thing the, the one sort of entree thing of his that, that i do love there's a tofu and green beans or haricovera um with a and i'm gonna mispronounce it but it's a persian sauce um Crimea, C H R A M I E H. I think I don't it's know that one. Yeah, sauce. I'm not familiar. It is. I'll send you the recipe. It is. I make that weekly or or like every ten days, and and 
you, it's tofu, green beans, and then that salt and that sauce is in, absolutely incredible. And okay, that sounds it could delicious. go on anything. It could go on, as he said, as daddy says, uh, <laughs> it, it could go on anything. You can, you can triple the recipe and then jar it and put it on lots of things. I feel like you um, should, you and Adelinki should make a porn together and then you should show it to your parents. I would, I would do anything. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe don't show it to your parents, but they could at least be aware of it. Um, they could my, see the first minute. Yeah. Yeah. My final question to you, and then we'll be done, but you've been a very, very generous patient today. Really? Uh, oh, please. Opening up, which I guess you do anyway, but still, it was very kind of you. But one thing that's not, <laughs> not clear to me in all of this is like, what is your favorite thing to eat? Like, what do you love to eat? Like what if, if um, you know, if you could go anywhere, eat anything, you know, what would it be? My favorite thing to eat. I mean, I love Italian food. I love Thai food. Um, I love Chinese food. I love Mediterranean food. My, my favorite thing to eat though is probably a steak. Mm. It's probably a really, is probably a really beautiful steak um, with a great Caesar salad, uh, a glass of red, a beautiful red wine. Mm -hmm. um, and then, and then a really great piece of cake. <laughs> I love that. That makes a lot that's, of sense. Yeah. That's my favorite meal. And I really, I mean, the closest is the salad and wine is the thing I allow myself to have most frequently, but I really, uh, oh, I think like we've come full that circle. That would be my favorite thing. Because yeah. we started with the, the lamb, uh, the rack of lamb, and then we mm -hmm. spent a lot of time on vegetables with a, you know, uh, excursion into the world of crabs, but now we're ending on red meat again. <laughs> And you come from a yeah. kind of meat, meat and potatoes family, which is kind of interesting. So how fascinating. Uh, you have a little a huge fly in here. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. He's here to tell us that our session is now at a close, <laughs> but Isaac, thank you so much for um, being on lunch so therapy. Much. And when you come oh. back to LA, I'm going to cook for you a steak, a Caesar salad and a cake, and you'll just bring the red wine. I'll bring the red wine. Hopefully it'll be to your liking. I'll go to Oh, Silver yeah. Lake. I'll go to Lose. I'll go to Lose. Lose is and, great. Yeah. And, I'm not a wine snob. Him, yeah. I just I'll like, ask him what you want. Fantastic. Uh, well, thank you, Isaac, and good thank luck you, getting back on schedule. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll All talk right. soon. Bye bye. Bye. ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. I'm Elsie Granderson. And I'm Will Leach. Every week in The Long Game, we look at the biggest stories in sports and how they affect the world of culture and politics. You think COVID has messed up sports forever? I think sports has totally forgotten that COVID ever existed. You think legal betting is bad for sports? I know it's bad for me to bet on the Pistons. That's a very, very bad idea. <laughs> Who is the most entitled GOAT of all time? I feel like there's a hundred-way tie for first. Well, at least at first. That's why they're the GOATs. We love talking about sports. And because we love our sports, we want our sports to be better. Which is why we don't dodge those big, messy issues. And we certainly do not stick to sports. So join us for deep thoughts, great laughs, and a weekly breakdown of the biggest issues in sports. The Long Game with LZ and Leach. Find us on the ACAST app, Twitch, and wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST, 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 ACAST recommends. recommends.